boy wonder. Oh, yeah, man, how you doing? You good? I know you like that. I know you like that. Yes, sir, and welcome. Welcome, welcome to episode 21 of the Good Look Podcast. I'm your host, Leonard Pinkney, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinkney. We got real hoop tomorrow, y'all. Or, excuse me, real hoop tonight. We got real NBA basketball tonight. We back. We in this thing. It was gone. It took a while. We didn't know if it was coming back, but we out here. We here today. I'm real excited for it, and I'm real excited to give y'all this podcast. Um, Let's go ahead and get into some recent NBA news, but... Uh, before, please like, share, rate, and subscribe to the pod at L Pinkney is where I put out all um, on both my socials, Instagram and Twitter is where I put out the podcast link. So make sure you tag me, like, share, rate, comment, do all those things for me. I really appreciate it. It helps in, in ways you don't even know. So thank you guys again for listening. I really appreciate it. Getting into some recent NBA news, the Pacers took a real big hit. Demonis Sabonis is going to leave the bubble with a significant foot injury. Um, real huge blow for the Pacers. Victor Oladipo is already dealing with his ruptured quad, and he is actually going to play. But Demonis Sabonis, um, if there was an All NBA fourth team, he'd be right there. He was an All Star for the first time this year. Incredible season for that young man. It's unfortunate that he had this injury, and now it looks like the play uh, the Pacers' playoff hopes are. At least to make any kind of noise, they're pretty slim at this point. Now they're going to have to rely more on Miles Turner. Maybe this gives him the opportunity to step up. We shall see. Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo are going to have to step up for Indiana even more. Uh, but they've showed a lot of grit defensively, and they're well coached by Nate McMillan, so they still have a chance to be a, a decent squad. But losing Sabonis, arguably their best player this year, no question, their best player this year. Um, it's going to be tough for them to move forward. Tom Thibodeau, former coach of the Bulls and the Timberwolves, is now going to be head coach of the Knicks. Signed a five-year deal there. We'll see if he actually serves all five years. It's rare that any coach goes for five years or more nowadays. But the, uh, the Knicks, there's a connection with Leon Rose, who's the new president there. He is a hard-nosed coach. Um, he's been in the the coaching rumor circles for for New York for a while, so this this hiring really isn't that surprising. Thibodeau is is really known for working his players extremely hard, and his advanced defensive techniques. We'll see how it works in Minnesota. It was a bit of a mixed bag. That was a young team, but once they got Jimmy Butler, they did end up getting into the postseason, so they did make a little bit of noise. Um, and his Chicago years were were pretty good. They just eventually towards the end. Um, he pretty much ran his guys into the dirt, and injuries started to pile up for those teams, and it was hard for them to, to move forward in that regard. So we'll see how Tom Thibodeau does here. He's going to have some leeway for the first couple seasons because the Knicks are going to be bad regardless. Let's see how they work around in terms of his staff offensively. Obviously, that's what his assistants are going to be looking more towards because he's the defensive guru. We'll see how they do in the draft. LaMelo Ball is someone who's really, really connected to them if We'll see how high of a pick that the the Knicks end up getting. I hope that they get LaMelo Ball. It would be nice to see him in New York. It feels like he'd be the right fit for them. But even if not, they still have to work on the development of R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, their other young guys that are currently on the squad right now. So, yeah, it's kind of a shrug at this point. 
Kyrie Irving doing a bunch of very dope things off the court, not in the bubble, but he said he's going to donate $1.5 million to the WNBA players who decide that they are going to sit out to supplement those opt-out players' salaries. Kyrie's been doing a bunch of incredible things for for the black community, for um, underrepresented groups during this time. It's been incredible to see what he's done off the court. You can say what you want in terms of how quirky he is or the the way things ended in Boston in terms of his leadership, but off the court, dude has been outstanding, and, and kudos to you, Kyrie. Appreciate you doing all that good work. Michael Porter Jr., um, yesterday came out with some really weird and unfortunate quotes talking about how the coronavirus pandemic is being used some way in terms of population control and that he's never been vac- vac- uh, vaccinated, excuse me, all weird, not the right time to be saying these things, but the Nuggets organization has talked to him. He had some weird things to say about the Black Lives Matter stuff. Not entirely weird, but again, not really reading the situation at this time. So he's a kid, you forget. He's 22. Just He just turned 22, so he's 21. People are this at that age are just not going to say everything correct. Um, hopefully he just learns from it and, and moves forward. Zero positive tests again. So this is two straight testing rounds for the NBA having zero positive coronavirus tests. The last test was on July 20th. So shout out to the NBA. Shout out to Adam Silver. We see the rest of the leagues like (laughs) going into panic mode. MLB had to turn up their security protocols because half the Marlins ended up getting coronavirus. One of the star players on the Nationals, Juan Soto, got coronavirus right before opening day. NFL, nobody knows how they're going to be doing things. They've quote-unquote reached an agreement on safety protocols, but they're kind of do the same thing baseball is doing, going to stadium to stadium and not shutting off or putting themselves in a bubble. Uh, we'll, we'll see how successful that really is. The MLB had a panic attack a couple of days ago with half of their team or half of one team pretty much being knocked out. So we'll see how it goes for the other leagues, but Adam Silver has done a great job. The NBA has done a great job so far. It's only been a week and it's only been really two and a half, three weeks, but it's it's nice to see that hope that it looks like this plan is working and hopefully things keep going smooth from here. The WNBA debuted last Saturday. That meant the debut of number one overall pick, the all everything, all world player Sabrina Unescu from Oregon. Unfortunately, she ran into a, a buzzsaw in the Seattle Storm, who won the title two years ago. And they had their best player back. Shout out to Brianna Stewart, by the way, coming back after a year and a half on that tour. Achilles Stewie is an incredible player. It's nice to see her back and, and trying to get back into the swing of things. And shout out Sue Bird, 40 years old, still out here, still hooping, still doing her thing. Shout out to you, cover a slam mag, still dope, still hooping. Sabrina, in her debut, she had 12-4-6, and six, struggled. But she's a rookie still, obviously, playing against the best competition there is. And first game so can't blame her too much about that playing arguably the best team in the WNBA but uh but last night she went off 33-7-7 and against her former teammate at Oregon the number two overall pick Seitu Savali from the uh, on the on the Dallas Wings Sabrina was doing everything like she did at Oregon step back jumpers hitting outside shots getting to the paint making great passes rebounding just doing everything that she was doing 
before. So it's it's nice to see that the WNBA is getting a little more recognition now. It, it's going to be tough for their league to still get that popularity, but players like Sabrina, who are really exciting, um, who can draw eyeballs to their league, are, are people that are players that are important. So it's nice to see the NBA supporting as well, all the NBA players with their orange WNBA hoodies. And all the things that the WNBA players are doing right now in terms of standing up for social justice as well. They've been doing things uh, that the, the men are actually catching up on. WNBA players have been doing this for a minute. Once again, shout out Maya Moore because Maya Moore, you know what I'm saying? But I'm really excited that the WNBA has come back. Um, admittedly so, I haven't kept up with it as much. Diana Taurasi, Candace Parker are, are my peoples. Love seeing them play. When Maya Moore left the links, it was kind of hard to stay connected but Simone Augustus and, and Lindsay Whaling and that squad was really dope so getting back into it with, with Sabrina is going to be really cool to see and I'm excited to see where they go they're also doing the bubble thing as well um, all reports so far have been positive for them too so except for the the initial the initial reportings but after that so far so good all right so this NBA MVP thing, man, I, I thought I was done with it last week. I really did, and I felt exacerbated. I didn't think I was going to keep talking about this, but the narrative is still out there that LeBron is the MVP, and I didn't want to keep talking about it, but Kendrick Perkins and David Jacoby this morning were just so annoying. I just had to put another stamp on this for just for their sakes, unfortunately. And let me see. <laughs> let me see how I'm gonna do this. I, I know I know they're doing it just for a reaction. I get it. It's television. You want to have the most listeners, you want to have the most reaction, regardless if it's positive or negative or not. And if you just go along with the narrative or the go along with the the train of thought or the logical thought that Giannis is the MVP, there's not really a lot of controversy there people aren't really going to be checking for it. So I understand the machine that wants to put LeBron as the MVP out there because they need a reaction. But I couldn't be one of those people. I hope if I ever get into a high media position, I wouldn't want to be one of those people that has to cape just because we want a reaction. I'd hope that my opinions would be enough at that point. But you you hear someone like David Jacoby who made the point that um, LeBron's old. LeBron had to deal with a new coach, new system, has changed positions. And and for three minutes, if you watch the first take segment, David Jacoby just asked Jalen Rose the same question over and over again. He's like, Jalen Rose, answer my question. Jalen, answer my question. Answer my question. And then he finally answers and asks, or asks first, if you had to win one game, which player are you taking? And then Jalen Rose is like, obviously LeBron. That's not the point. That's not who the MVP is. The MVP is typically the best player on the best team in the league for that season. Kendrick Perkins tried to make the point that, I don't know what we're doing with the MVP award. We always moving the goalposts. I don't know what the criteria. Yes, we do. We know what the criteria is. Y'all just want to cape for these people because you like them or you want to get the reaction. But we know what that criteria is it's been like this since the league started of course there are certain seasons where they don't get it right every time but for the most part 
we get this stuff right because there is a known formula for how the MVP is picked. The best player typically with the best record in the league. And if we don't even, if that isn't the end-all be-all, then we go to statistical dominance and then we trickle it down that way. Let me just go through the gambit real quick. Go back to 2019. Giannis, best player, best team in the league. Boom. MVP. Easy. James Harden. His team won 65 games. Best record in the league. James Harden had the best stats. MVP. Easy. Russell Westbrook. Now, didn't have the best record in the league. This was a different year. This is when the Spurs had the second best record in the West. This is when the Warriors had... Durant and Steph Curry so in that situation they essentially canceled themselves out for MVP and then we had Russell Westbrook with a statistical anomaly of averaging a triple double in a season and dragging a pretty trash Oklahoma City Thunder team to the sixth seed and 45 wins that year James Harden had a really good case as well but with the statistical anomaly that Russell Westbrook pulled off that pretty much put him over the top in winning the MVP award 2016, Steph Curry. Do we really need to say anything? No, we don't. 2015, when Steph won his first MVP. There's some, there's a little bit of controversy there. I've even said in the past that I think James Harden should have won it, but looking back on it now, Steph definitely deserved it. He averaged 24-7-4. What did LeBron average? 25-7-6. And, and guess what? He did it in 11 less, ga- less games. And guess what? You remember when LeBron went on that two-week sabbatical when he went on vacation in Miami to get himself right, quote-unquote? And this is the time where LeBron wasn't taking the regular seasons that seriously, saving himself defense, or saving himself on the defensive end as well so he could be ready for the postseason, where obviously he proves that he's the best player in the league. We're not talking about who's the best player in the league. We're talking about who's the MVP for the regular season. If LeBron James doesn't take the regular season seriously, he's not going to get the serious regular season award. The MVP is not going to him, okay? So all you people who think he should win seven or should have won seven, eight, nine MVPs, you're wrong. He has not taken every regular season seriously. Just think back. I'll go back even to, let's see, back to 2017 with the Russell Westbrook season. Usually best record and then best, best player, right? The Warriors canceled themselves out. Spurs really didn't have a guy who was statistically dominant. That year, LeBron's team won 51 games. Was LeBron still the best player in the league in 2017? Yes, he was. But 51 games and taking a lot of possessions off defensively is not going to get you the MVP in the regular season. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. All you LeBron stands, all you dumb people in the media, y'all can shut up. Y'all got me raising my voice on another podcast talking about this Giannis LeBron stuff. I said I wasn't going to talk about it again. But y'all got me out here with this the East Week LeBron criteria. I'm done. I said I was done last week. I, I feel like I'm really done this week because we're going to talk about actual NBA basketball soon. So please dead this. Please put this to rest. Y'all need to stop it. Please. Alright, so I'm going to go into pretty much talking about how the scrimmages went, um, go into some predictions for how tomorrow or tonight's games are going to go, and then uh, a couple of predictions that I have for this first week of basketball, 
actual basketball, y'all. Can y'all believe it? Um, it's going to be more than four months, man, since that fateful Oklahoma City game where Rudy Gobert was found to be tested positive. They stopped the game. Games were being played last minute, and it was a really surreal scene. Mark Cuban's face when he found out that they were just going to cancel the season was a sight to see. And we didn't know where we'd be. We didn't know what position we'd be in as a country. It's been terrible, unfortunately, but NBA basketball appears to be coming back and hopefully things run smoothly. Hopefully the the quarantine protocols continue to be tip top and we can go ahead and, and close out this regular season and get into hopefully a really fruitful postseason. In terms of the NBA scrimmages and my biggest takeaways from it so far, go back to there's a couple individual things, a couple overarching things I'm going to get into. So first thing I want to point out is uh, July 28th. So that was last Tuesday. The Grizzlies told the Miami Heat to see, uh, told the Miami Heat to sit the F down, especially one Andre Iguodala. Now remember, Andre Iguodala got traded from the Warriors to the Grizzlies, and he decided, eh, I'm good. The Grizzlies, eh, they're kind of trash. I'm not going to play for them. Y'all call me when you want me to get traded somewhere where I could play and I could contend. Players on that team were like, all right, cool, bet. John Morant, we'll see you when we see you. Dylan Brooks, hey, I can't wait till he gets traded so we can show him what's good in Memphis. They finally got their shot. Now it's a scrimmage game, so we're not going to put too much... And, and just know that for all of these notes I have, we're not going to put too much into scrimmage games. These are essentially almost preseason summer league type games where guys aren't trying too hard. They're just trying to break a sweat, catch a rhythm, and get some of their continuity back. But we still going to talk about it. You feel me? The Grizzlies beat down Miami. They won 128-110. to 110. Iguodala, two points, seven rebounds, and five assists on one of three shooting in 23 minutes. Dylan Brooks. That same dude that said, I can't wait till Iggy gets traded, got his shot, dropped 23 points in 22 minutes. Not a coincidence. And John Morant, his usual dominant self, 22 points and 12 assists. They were ready for this game. Even though they knew it didn't count, they knew they wanted to show Andre Iguodala, who played more than half the game, 23 minutes, and did virtually nothing. These two kids came out and showed, hey, Memphis is something to be reckoned with. And they have been, and they will be for the foreseeable future. Shout out to the Grizzlies. The Oklahoma City Thunder looked great. They finished the scrimmage season 3-0. They had wins over the Blazers, Celtics, and Sixers. Shea Gilgis-Alexander has signed with Converse and now has and has been hooping as soon as the scrimmage season started. 15 and 6 a night. And their starting guard, or starting guard slash 3, Lou Dort, has been averaging 10 a night. Um, typically, a def- he's a defensive specialist for their team, but if he can give the Thunder anything on offense, then we're talking about a, a solid team, and that's a plus for the for the Thunder in, a- in-, in any regard. But the biggest shout-out for the Thunder is is a sentimental story, and that's Andre Robertson. So Robertson hasn't been able to play for the last two years because of a knee injury and then on- ongoing setbacks with that recovering for- recovery for said knee. So... He finally came back and he was able to play in some of these scrimmage games for the first time in two years and it was an incredible thing to finally see him on the court. Some of the past roasting about him, that's something that's that's just going to be left in the past for now. Once he start playing, maybe we can bring the jokes back, but for now, 
as a person who has dealt with and continues to deal with knee issues whenever I try to hoop, just to be able to see a guy get on the basketball court and play the game that he loves despite having numerous issues with the knee is absolutely outstanding. So shout out to you, Andre Roberson. Hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully he continues to play well for the Thunder and, and can move forward with this. Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, and Chris Paul, their usual dependable veteran selves. The Thunder are deep. They're a solid franchise, and Chris Paul is going to lead that team. He knows every defensive scheme. He knows every play every team runs. He knows how to try to beat every opponent he plays, whether he's successful or not. He has the game plan, and he has the, the IQ in his mind. He knows what he needs to do in pretty much every basketball situation. So I think the Thunder can make a run. I think they can really make it hard on one of these LA teams in the second round. They're not going to be trifled with veteran squad. They know what they're doing, and they got some young guns who can who can run the floor and still and still know what they're doing because they're being led by such great leaders and veterans on the offensive and defensive sides of the court. And you, I haven't even mentioned Dennis Schroeder, who's a candidate to win six man of the year this year. He's been absolutely incredible. So. Whatever LA team they play in the second round, I'm, I'm seeing six or seven. I don't think they're going to beat them just because the two LA teams are just way too talented. But whatever team they end up drawing with, if the Thunder get matched up with them, it's going to be a tough series. It's not going to be easy out for either of them. I like what the Thunder are doing. I like what they're going to continue to do. Now, in terms of what they'll do in the future, I don't know how they want to handle the Chris Paul situation. They have like 90 first-round picks, so they're going to be a franchise who's going to be looking to go fishing. So... You never know if Ben Simmons becomes available or Devin Booker becomes available or a Carl Anthony Towns becomes available. Some of those younger guys who just signed new extensions in a couple of years are going to be looking to get traded eventually. Look out for the Thunder. They got all those, all that draft capital, all those first-round picks. It's going to be something to look out for in the future. But for now, with this team, this veteran-laden team, watch out for them in the postseason. The Houston Rockets, unfortunately, they look really solid. Um, especially James Harden. He scored 24, 31, and 36 and three in three scrimmage games. Uh, a lot of people are picking the Rockets as a dark horse candidate because of this new abbreviated format. In the past, a lot of criticism has gone towards Russell Westbrook and James Harden because they essentially flame out in the postseason. They take on a lot of responsibility and go incredibly hard during the regular season that by the time they really need to muster it up for the playoffs, they fell short on multiple occasions. Russell Westbrook, even in his MVP season, lost in the first round, and he's lost in the first round the last three seasons. James Harden, it's very well documented some of the shortcomings that he's had in the postseason. You would think that it's overblown, but it really isn't. Just look at what happened in San Antonio game 6, 2017. It's either 2017 or 2016 when he just went completely uh, comatose. He just didn't know what happened to James Harden. It was an incredibly embarrassing performance. So, In the game just last year, Steph Curry drops 30 in the second half on Houston. Without Kevin Durant, they end up losing. So Maybe this ends up helping him. They had a lot of time to rest, obviously. And now with this new quirky lineup, and their ability to try to play the math game with teams. Two dominant players, two former MVPs. You throw them in this format, 
where nobody really knows what's going to happen. We'll see. They maybe have a shot to make some noise. I'm still picking the LA teams over them, but if you want to pick them as a dark horse and if you want to bet on something that might make you a little money just in case, I wouldn't be mad at you picking the Rockets. Now, Eric Gordon not being there for a little bit is going to be tough. He just messed up his ankle. It's a pretty rough roll. Going to be out for a week or two, but hopefully that puts him on schedule to be back for maybe the last two or three regular season games before they get back into the postseason. So hopefully he can get some run and heals up quick, and and hopefully Houston has their their full complement of players, and we'll see what kind of run they can make. The Pelicans finished the scrimmages undefeated as well, and they've done it by committee. And their three total scrimmage games, they've had a total of 16 combined players scoring in double digits in those three contests. So they've been doing it by committee, having a bunch of different guys contribute. It's been really nice to see from that squad. And all of this is without Zion. So I'll talk a little bit about the the Pelicans a little bit later in the pod, but they were doing really well during the scrimmage season. The Utah Jazz finished 2-1, and one, and they look solid as well. I will talk more about them later too, but Mike Conley does look more comfortable uh, since he chopped all his hair off. Um, and even though they did lose Bogdan Bogdanovich, or Boyan, excuse me, that was a blow to them offensively. This kind of moves that team back into a similar position that they were last year in terms of they'll be able to put Joe Ingles in the starting lineup, which will make that team more versatile offensively in terms of overall playmaking. And defensively, it actually raises their level. They become more versatile and consistent on the defensive end. You wouldn't think that was someone like Joe Ingles, but then it puts guys in Royce O'Neal in a better position and you have, obviously, Rudy Gobert on the back line protecting the rim. So I'm interested to see how Utah will look in this first game. I'll, I'll talk about them in a second. But if you have Mitchell and Conley providing consistent scoring for this team, and if they're able to find it from other guys who can chip in, score around 10 to 15 a night, Jordan Clarkson come off the bench and get his double digits, Utah Jazz will be a little bit scary. They're going to be tough to play defensively. The only thing that's going to or not the only thing, but one of the things that's really going to knock them is this this neutral court format. Having that home court advantage in Utah is incredible. It can't be understated. So the fact that they don't have it is something that's going to hurt them. But with them reverting a little bit back to what their original team concept was and seeing how Quinn Snyder, their coach, is going to adjust to that, I'm excited to see how, how Utah approaches this uh, this restart. So they're a team to look out for. The Philadelphia 76ers were a mixed bag. They finished 1-2, and two, and many people were excited to see how their lineup with Luck would putting Ben Simmons exclusively at the 4, moving Shake Milton to the point guard spot. Unfortunately, Joel Embiid only played 12 minutes in the first game, so we really didn't get a chance to see what that lineup was capable of. He's been dealing with a calf issue. But... Ben Simmons, as usual, when Joel Embiid doesn't play, has been outstanding in those games where he, where Embiid hasn't played. He's been averaging close to a triple-double and playing his, his usual great defense. So it's tough. The, the Sixers are tantalizing as well because if they play up to their potential, they have as much potential as anyone in the East, including Milwaukee. And maybe this format will help them because they don't have to deal with quote-unquote road games 
technically everything's a road game, but there's no home teams here. Philadelphia was absolute dog shit on the road this year, so the fact they don't have to deal with that during this restart is something that will benefit them, hopefully. And once Embiid comes back, we'll be able to see how versatile that lineup is going to be with Ben Simmons at the four. If he's the roll guy making the pass off of those double teams and you have a pick-and-roll situation where Ben Simmons is at the high post and he gets to decide whether he's going to drop off, dunk, or throw a lob to Embiid, that might be a position that's desirable for this Philadelphia offense to try. Golden State has been incredible with it, putting Draymond in that four playmaking position, and it's led them to multiple championships. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Philadelphia does it, just like everyone else in the league. They're really, they're really crash burn type of type of team. You could or crash and burn, or they could end up soaring in this in this scenario. So I'm interested to see it. Hopefully, Embiid gets healthy soon, and we'll see how it goes. Giannis out here looking like Giannis, like he usually is. Giannis, Giannis, Giannis dropped a new shoe as well. It's dope. Wish I could have copped it, but I did not. He dropped 30 points in his last scrimmage game, being his usual dominant defensive self as well. He's going to be the MVP, most likely going to be the defensive player of the year as well. So I think it's going to be the first time since Hakeem that anyone has done that in the same season. So shout out to him. I'm really excited to see how the Bucks go in this postseason. I'm picking them to get to the NBA Finals. I think one of the LA teams is going to take him out in the Finals, unfortunately, but I'm still taking the Bucks to get to the finals. It's going to be exciting to see Giannis play one of those two franchises. And guess what? You thought it was over. You really thought it was over. But guess what? The Bull Bull train is still rolling. I thought the hype would die down after the first game. But guess what? It didn't. After that 16-10-6 splash performance in his first scrimmage game, he came back and got 15-3-3 with a block against New Orleans. And then in the last scrimmage game, that's when I really thought it would die down because he pretty much disappeared for the first three quarters. But after that, in the fourth quarter, he exploded 10 points, including two threes coming off pin downs. You got your 7-2 forward, small forward, center, whatever you want to call them, coming off pin downs and screens to spot up for three. Incredible. He had another amazing block on a guy who was taking a jump shot because you don't realize that he's seven that he has a seven foot nine wingspan and it's absolutely insane. I'm so excited about the future of my team. Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull being guys who had come into the drafts with with big injury risks, but I'm happy that Tim Connolly in the front office decided that we have a solid enough franchise to where we can take chances on these guys. And it's looking like we might have hit a couple of jackpots here now. I'm not saying that these guys are going to be incredible all-NBA players. There's no guarantee of any of that in this league. But they've shown the flashes and they've shown the potential. Michael Porter Jr. in his only scrimmage game had 19 points. And he made a lot of that offense look easy. So eventually, if we have a lineup where Bull Bull is starting at the 4, Porter Jr. at the 3, and then Jokic is the 5, or if we bring Bull Bull off the bench... I'm really excited to see how this franchise is going to move forward with these guys. I hope Coach Malone finds a way to get them time. I'm not sure Bull Bull's going to get any time 
during this restart just because Mason Plumley is such a solid center as a backup and they're gonna wanna they're gonna wanna skew more towards the sure thing instead of the, the boomer bust guy and bowl bowl. So the future's bright. I'm excited for what they'll do during this postseason. I'm not expecting a lot. I hope at least they get out of the first round and that they continue to build on what they've been building from last year and that young team continues to grow, build cohesion, and eventually, maybe in a year or two, when the young puppies decide, or the young pups finally start to grow up a little bit more, and maybe we get some help from some outside veterans whenever those guys come, and this team can be a serious title contender. Instead of that team where everyone's like, oh, they got a nice record, but like those late 2000, those late 2010 Hawks teams where they had the four All-Stars and everyone's like, ah, it's cool, but it's Al Horford, it's Paul Millsap, like we're not taking them seriously. We're kind of in that same boat. We're a team that wins a lot of regular season games, but don't have that truly dominant offensive force, even though Jokic is an All-NBA player. We're looking for a guy who can take over games. Michael Porter Jr. has shown the potential to do so. Bull Bull has shown a unique potential to do so in many different ways as well. So I'm really excited to see how those guys do going forward. Let's go ahead and jump into what's going to be the predictions for tonight's game. So first game is going to be New Orleans and Utah. Tip-off is at 3.30 Pacific. There's going to be a lot of weird times for these NBA games. It's going to be like a March Madness setup when... You remember being in school or high or pretty much in high school and those March Madness games would start at 10 or 11 and you'd get the notifications on your phone. This is pretty much what's going to be happening throughout this restart. There's going to be games starting at 11, 12, 1. On, there's three different courts that they have on site, so they're going to be trying to get as many games as they can. But let's go ahead and get into the specifics of Utah and New Orleans. Um, it's kind of funny that the Jazz are still the Jazz, even though it has nothing to do with Utah, but I digress. Um, the Utah Jazz, 17th in overall offense, 26th in the league in assists, which is absolutely terrible. But they have a a, a solid net rating at, at, at number 9 in the league. So net rating is pretty much your offensive rate, the difference between your offensive rating and your defensive rating. So their defense has been really good this year that it's been able to make up for the subpar offense that they had for most of the season. When we look at their squad, Donovan Mitchell leads the team in scoring at 24 points per game, and they have all-NBA defender, multiple-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, manning the back line, protecting the rim. This team, I said it a little bit in the beginning, they, they're probably going to go as far as Mike Conley goes. He's had a really down season. It's unfortunate. They expected a lot from him after that Memphis trade. If he's able to pick it up and provide an offensive spark for this team, then look out. Because defensively, they're going to be a terror. Donovan Mitchell look like he's going to increase that average to maybe 27, 28 once these, these postseason games start counting. I'm looking for the Utah Jazz to, to be a solid, uh, a solid playoff team in this format. When we talk about the game tomorrow night, let me go ahead and get into the Pelicans first before I talk about that game specifically. Utah is going to play the Thunder, the Lakers, and the Grizzlies in their next three after tomorrow or after tonight's game. The Pelicans, who are tied for fourth in the league in scoring and second in pace, um, they're an incredible team offensively, but they have a negative net rating because their defense is ranked 20th in the league. So 
They have a lot of young guys. They want to run the floor a lot, but that's to their detriment on the defensive end. Brandon Ingram leads the team in scoring 24 points a night. But everyone knows who we're here for. Everyone knows why we expended these damn playoffs to begin with and why we have 22 teams instead of maybe just the 16 or just 20. It's because of Zion Williamson. He didn't play any of the bubble games, unfortunately. He had to deal with a family matter. But he did get into the bubble in time to where he would be able to play in tonight's game. Now, he's still a game-time decision. I'm going to bet that he does play because this is the first game that the NBA is going to put on for the world in this new pandemic era they want to have their star child play i am going to predict that zion williamson is going to play that game he didn't play any of those games in the bubble like i said but before this um in his 19 games in the regular season kid was outstanding averaged 24 7 and 2 while shooting 59 percent from the field i'm excited to see how new orleans deploys him in this matchup the Pelicans play the Clippers, Grizzlies, and Kings in their next three. Specifically for that game tonight, if you remember back in the in the preseason, there was one play when uh, when Zion was just going crazy on people. He had a play where he pretty much bullied Rudy Gobert on the offensive glass and put it right on his head for a nasty-ass dunk. So I am... Very excited to see Zion. I think once he plays, I think they're going to take the the reins off. I, I don't actually. I don't think they're going to take the reins off. You're looking at twenty to twenty five minutes for him, but I think that the Pelicans know that they're in a position to where they need as many games as possible in order to slip into that eight nine matchup and try to get into that plane where they'll mostly go against the most likely go against the Grizzlies. The Utah Jazz are still trying to figure a couple of things out. Losing Bogdan, Boyan Bogdanovich is going to be tough for them offensively. And I just think that they don't have as much urgency as New Orleans does because their playoff positioning is pretty much solidified. So they're looking to just get their schemes down, get their offensive continuity back. New Orleans is going to be playing like every game is 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 game seven they need as many games as possible to get into that play in game position so i think that the new orleans pelicans are going to win tonight and not predicting no scores because i don't really do that that often but i'm pretty sure that the pelicans are going to play with a lot of desperation look at that dub tonight and last but certainly not least our main event we have the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Lakers coming in with the best record in the West, second in the league overall, third best offensive rating, and second best overall net rating. They boast a team with plenty of length and rim protection, but this team inst- but this team starts and ends with the Alpha and the Omega, the everything, all do, I got this, Mr. LeBron. James having another outstanding season, his move to the quote-unquote point guard position. He's been averaging 25 a night and leads the league in assists at 10.6 per game. Not too shabby himself is All-NBA teammate Anthony Davis, who's been averaging 26, 9, and 2 blocks per. Now the Lakers are going to play the Raptors, Jazz, and Thunder after the game tonight, so they got a tough stretch here, but... In terms of the matchup going on with the Clippers tonight, 
they face another formidable opponent, obviously. The Clippers are the second-best team in the West right now. They have the third-best offensive rating and third-best overall net rating, led by the incredible wing duo of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Kawhi only shot 26% in the scrimmage games, but who cares? These are scrimmage games. They're pretty much like preseason, and Kawhi is Kawhi. It's going to be fine. The only worry the Clippers really have is familiarity and size. So they're not going to have Lou Williams, Patrick Beverly. They're dealing with a lot of Montrez Harrell. They're dealing with a lot of guys who are going to be out. They don't really have a lot of rim protection or length in terms of a big guy in the middle like a Rudy Gobert is going to protect the rim. Avica Zubak is pretty much their tallest guy, but we're not considering him as a rim protector, really. But they boast so much defensive potential and versatility on the wings that they've been able to make up for it, pretty much. But it's going to be tough for them tomorrow night because they're missing a couple of key guys who would really help them and who have helped them in previous matchups against the Lakers. Now the Lakers are going to have Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith now instead of Avery Bradley. Who knows how that's going to be. They played, I guess they played well in the last game, but it was against the Wizards. And I mean, who cares about the Wizards? So some people forgot the Wizards were even in Orlando. But anyway, um, we'll see how those guys acclimate. We'll see what the Clippers do. Knowing that they're missing some guys, we'll see what happens. Because that's happening, I'm going to pick the Lakers to win tomorrow night. I think Anthony Davis is going to play extremely well. I think he's going to eat up that front line. And I think LeBron James... I don't think LeBron James is going to have a real big game. I think he's going to see, uh, pretty much try to survey the court in this one, pick his spots like he normally does, and, and look to his other guys to try to get into a rhythm. He knows his Clipper team isn't at full strength, so it's not somewhere he's going to be going full board. I think LeBron's going to take it somewhat easy and have Anthony Davis let him have a big game. I'm predicting at least 30 from him, and I think the Lakers are going to go ahead and get a, a pretty comfortable victory here. And yeah, so in terms of a couple of predictions I'm going to have for the first week of basketball, look for some sloppy play. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. We're talking about the first week. These guys are going to be ramping it up a little bit more. Guys are going to be trying to do different moves and, 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 and make passes they normally wouldn't make. And they're still just trying to get into their rhythm and get into shape. So that's still going to be happening. Guys are going to be working out the kinks. So expect that to happen. I'm expecting the length the Lakers to ramp it up for for these bigger games except for tomorrow night I don't think LeBron's going to be pretty much doing that too much but the more games that happen that are that are bigger stakes obviously I see the Lakers stepping up for those and I know LeBron wants to have his guys ready for the postseason so we'll see how things go from there it's going to be interesting to see how the Sixers do with their inverted lineup um, let's hope that Joel Embiid is healthy and we can see Ben Simmons play at the four and, and hopefully Philly can actually live to a little bit of that preseason potential that a lot of people saw in them. Will the Nuggets be able to get Bull Bull some minutes and how much will Michael Porter Jr. play? That was a big thing during the regular season. Nuggets fans and NBA fans alike wanted to see Michael Porter play more. It's tough with Mike Malone. We'll see how that is going forward. Bull Bull already gave my opinion. I don't know if he's going to play that often, but we will see. New Orleans is going to be a problem. Um, I predict they're going to go 3-1 and one to start this off. I think, they, like I said, they're going to be playing desperate hoops. They really want to get into that spot, and they want to get... The NBA would love to have Zion play the Lakers in round one, so I'm pretty sure that 
Northern is going to come out like gangbusters. And like I said, I'm predicting they go 3-1 and one to start off in their first four games. Watch out for the Rockets and the Mavericks as well. There's still a lot in the West that needs to get figured out. And these are two teams with incredible offense potential that can make a lot of noise during this restart season. So we'll see how these guys, these two Texas teams, will, will figure it out as the, the restart season goes on. All right, and then I'm going to get into my random, not random, I guess, going into my NBA player salute past guy. This next person I'm going to talk about is Andre Kirilenko. Shout out AK-47. Played 13 NBA seasons, most notably in Utah as a defensive specialist. He was on the all-NBA defensive team three times and a one-time all-star, along with being the blocks champ in 2005, and he averaged 3.3 blocks from the small forward position. Incredible back-to-back seasons from the small forward spot, averaging three-plus blocks per game. His unfortunate big highlight is him being dunked on by Baron Davis in the 07 playoffs. But other than that, Andre Karolinko, incredible basketball player, incredible defender, played 13 solid NBA seasons, and he made himself one of the best defenders in the league in the 2000s, and he earned $107 million in his career, so... He made off like a like a really rich man, and he made his mark in the NBA defensively. He even made an all-star team at that, so shout out to you, Andre Karolinko. Salute. Once again, I want to thank you guys for listening to the Good Look Podcast. I'm your host, Leonard Pinckney, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinckney. Please enjoy the games tonight we finally have nba basketball again so sit back relax um get your popcorn get your drinks sit back with the people you like and you love or actually just keep it social distanced really or if you're going to do that make sure that you're safe and please enjoy this basketball man it's been really nice to see these scrimmage games and it's been tough for everybody and sports provide such a nice distraction for us Obviously, there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be done in this society, but it's going to be nice to see some actual hoop get played. So really looking forward to that. Thank you guys again for listening. Um, Make sure you like, rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast um, at L Pinkney for all the socials, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm looking forward to talk to you guys about some actual legitimate basketball that counts for the standings next week. Please enjoy the hoops for the next week. Once again, Leonard Pigney, Agent P. L. Pigney. I'll see you guys next time. Have a good one.